Hello, I'm Jessica Cadso-Collins and this is the Inside the Dual Vault podcast. Each episode, I ask my guests to choose the six gems or jewels they would put into their fantasy dual vault. I hope you enjoy listening. This episode of Inside the Dual Vault was recorded remotely. I'm delighted to welcome jewellery fiction writer Josie Goodbody to the podcast. Josie started out in the glamorous world of fashion and jewellery PR, working with brands like Dior, Bulgari, Gina and Graf before writing fiction. She created the Jemima Fox mystery series in which the diamond sleuth, her eponymous heroine, unravels audacious jewellery thefts inspired by real life events around the world. Welcome, Josie. I can't wait to see what you've got for us inside the Jewel Vault. Hello. Hi, Jessica. Well, Josie, we've not seen very many books written about the diamond industry or the diamond retail trade. There just don't seem to be very many books that are fictionalised accounts of what it's really like behind the scenes at these great brands. So why did you decide to start writing? Um, Well, I have always wanted to write novels. Um, and I've always loved reading. I've always loved mysteries. I used to read a lot of Agatha Christie and Neo Marsh. I think it's my inspiration comes a lot from the books that I've read and love just creating stories. And then when I um, when I was at Graf, there was a huge heist, and it was in two, August two thousand and nine. And some people say forty, some people say fifty million pounds worth of diamonds, diamond and fine jewelry was stolen in under about five, ten minutes. And it was people that I knew working in the store, you know, people that I really loved working with. And and also, obviously, the jewellery itself, you, you know, even the extraordinary graph jewellery, you start, you feel very, pre- you know, it's, it's you've been working on this jewellery for so long. It, you, you start to kind of look on it as um, more than just, you, it, it becomes special to you in a different way. Obviously, I could never afford it. But it became different, you know, you work with it, you learn about the pieces of jewellery, you know the people who've made the jewels, all the men in the workshop, you know, the designers. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it becomes quite a kind of, obviously you don't own it, but you feel that you've got a, a much more, you know, quite a personal attachment to these jewels. And to have them just stolen, it was really shocking, but there was also something extraordinarily exciting about it. And particularly, you know, in the next day, every newspaper, I mean, I was head of PR and I'd spent however long trying to get graph from the front cover of every newspaper in the world. You know, it was amazing. The interest. Yes. And the absolute flabbergast of people. More that that jewellery actually was that worth that much, that actually 50 million pounds worth of jewellery could be stolen. And there were these things in the newspapers about, is it the Pink Panthers? And I was like, my God, the Pink Panthers, who are they? And that's really how I started becoming absolutely fascinated by jewellery heists, and but most particularly kind of historical jewellery heists. And really, that's how I started wanting to write about about it but also the jewelry world as you know is is i mean it's so secretive and there are so many things that i wanted to write particularly in my first novel which is very much based on when i was head of pr at graph so it was that pivotal event the 50 million pound graph diamond heist that has inspired you to write so can we go back in time to when you were a little girl were you interested in jewels as a child well, my mother never really had very many jewels. She she was when she was in, living in London. A lot of the jewels that she'd inherited or um, had been given were, st- were stolen, and she she became very paranoid about jewelry. And she kind of would like you know um, squirrel 
jewellery away in, in various um, kind of... She had what, one little bag of things in her sewing box. I don't know if it was squirreling it away from me because very early on I, I became quite interested in, 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 in that. And they weren't... As I said, most of her nice stuff was stolen. But some pieces that she'd inherited from my grandmother or from aunts and stuff, like you know, um, latterly... Um, I used to be quite, become quite interested in, and I remember age quite some, quite little, kind of finding various little hiding places and trying them on, and then trying to put them back before she'd run out. So um, you were actually a, uh, a thief. Jewelry detective <laughs> or thief. <laughs> so talk us through the first piece in your vault, then. Well, the first piece is actually is a family piece. Um, sadly, it's not very close family, but it is family, and it's the emerald and diamond power Demi Power at the V&A, which is part of the London Dairy jewellery collection. Teresa, who was my great, great, great aunt or whatever, she was quite a formidable character. And she, when she became the Marchioness, she inherited some quite um, beautiful jewels. And um, when I was younger, I used to love going to the V&A. The London Dairies own the jewels, but they are on permanent loan to the V&A and there are some kind of absolutely incredible jewels and out of these it was very hard to choose the ones that I really wanted I, I was actually going to choose one of the tiaras um but these emeralds are quite interesting because they were given but to the third marchioness by Tsar Alexander III and um he was he actually fell in love with the marchioness from a picture that he'd seen of her a portrait that he'd seen of her and he sent her these um and some amethysts from Siberia which are also in the V&A um but I absolutely love emeralds and I um think this is the most incredible necklace and it hair is, earrings it is huge so beautiful well this is a necklace and matching earrings of enormous emeralds composed of very ornate clusters of pearls and diamonds and you could just imagine the dazzling effect of these sparkling and candlelight at a grand ball it's a suite of jewelry from a different world isn't it not the sort of jewels that would be worn in modern times unless it was maybe a state occasion there's a quite an amusing story in that my great aunt wore the londonderry tiara which is which is also, it's called the London Dairy Tiara, it's diamonds. And she had pearls added to the top of it. So it was probably bigger than the Queen's crown at the coronation. Um, but when she went to the loo at the uh, at the coronation, there was some loos and her tiara fell off her head her, uh, into the loo and she ha- they had to get one of the courtiers <laughs> to f- fish it out with a pair of forceps. <laughs> so I find that a lovely story. Well, Josie, it's a pretty impressive first choice for your fantasy jewel vault and amazing that these are museum quality pieces with a link to your own family heritage. So tell us, what's your second piece and why you've chosen it? So I studied, um, I loved French from very early on. And so I, I decided to study French at university and I went to Exeter and I um, met this incredible, t- and, and in your third year, you have to go to the country that you're going to, that you're studying the language of. And that was um, incredible. And it got, you know, I went to go and live in Paris. I lived just off the Rue de Vivoli. I was in the Marais. And that, it was just incredible. And I used to go to the Louvre all the time. On Wednesdays, they were open late. So I used to go on my way back from work. Um, and then when my stage, which is what it's called, finished, I'd met um, 
this amazing woman. She was head of press at Christian Dior in the women's couture and prêt-à-porter, and she gave me a job for three months as basically her assistant. Um, and I mean, that was the most extraordinary three months of my life. And I realised that I wanted to just work in fashion. Uh, but I met the most amazing people. I remember it was, um, I worked on the couture show of 2000. So John Galliano was the designer then. And I met Victoire de Castellan, who had only done, I think, one or two collections for Dior, Fine, Fine Jewelry at that time. And I just thought, oh my God, this is a dream. That one of the things I love so much about, I mostly love antique jewellery. Um, as I said, like the pieces in the V&A. I just find them so interesting because they've got so many stories behind them. But I found that with um, Victoire's pieces, they are so amazing. The colours, you know, they just, she uses a kind of plethora, like a rainbow of, of gemstones. So this is why this amazing bracelet by Victoire de Castellan is in your vault. And it also has a wonderful name, the Parterre de Midi. Can you tell us more about the bracelet? It was from the 2017 summer kind of couture collection. And she um, did a few collections based around Versailles and the gardens of Versailles. And I love coloured gemstones. It's got a large emerald in the centre. And then it's got, I mean, it's almost got every kind of coloured stone you can imagine. There's white, yellow, pink uh, diamonds, it, there's emeralds, uh, garnets, svorite, sapphires, pink sapphires, tourmalines, purple tourmalines, um, yellow sapphires, rubies, pareba, purple sapphires, peridots, turquoise. And I just think, wow, you know, managing to fit all of that into this exquisite floral bracelet. I mean, the idea of just wearing that on my hand, you know, you kind of doesn't matter what clothes you wear. You, you'd any colour, you know, because no one would look at what you were wearing. <laughs> they would just look at your wrist. It makes me think of Paris and it makes me think of my amazing three months at Dior. Yes, I love it. I love it too. So thanks for choosing it. It's exquisite and it's so joyful. And one of the novel things that Victoire de Castellan did for high jewellery design was to mix in elements from costume jewellery, like bright, almost fluorescent blocks of enamel, and make the whole effect more playful. And you can see this effect so well in this bracelet, the one you've chosen. So after your year in Paris, you completed your degree and then embarked on a career in PR. Where did you start out? I worked for a, a guy called Simon Astaire. He was wonderful. And he um, had a PR agency in Chelsea Harbour. And one of their clients was Bulgari. Um, and another was Ritz Fine Jewellery. Um, and I did a lot. I obviously went on on the shoot. Um, Bulgari didn't have an in-house press office at that time. Um, and it was really fun. We'd go along to the store and pick up pieces of jewellery. And I'd go to fashion shoots. Um, with all the magazines that I previously wanted to work right for and um, and meet all the other jewellers on these fashion shoots um, and learn about them. And what did you do after this? Did you stay in PR? I actually got a job working at Gina Shoes, in, in um, which is was on Sloan Street for this amazing woman called Angie Kurdash. And um, that was great fun because... You know, it's my. You know, I could borrow shoes. Unfortunately, I couldn't borrow the jewels from Bulgari. Whilst I was at Dior in Paris, I used to raid the wardrobe. This enormous um, sample wardrobe. I mean, it wasn't a wardrobe. It was like a, a, a kind of ballroom of clothes. And you know, 
you know, I'd go to meet my other, you know, student friends in a bistro for dinner, completely bedecked in Dior. Um, and obviously I couldn't do that when I was in Bulgari, but I could at Gina. And it was just great fun. I met some amazing people, like kind of Kate Moss. And, you know, I was 23 at the time. And um, it was just really, really great fun. But jewellery was always, you know, kind of one of my, I just always, but yeah, shoes also. <laughs> So um, after after my job at Gina, um, and which 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 um, I was in for about a year, I then had suddenly had this bug to go travelling. I when I was twelve, going back to when I was twelve, I read *The Burning Shore* by Wilbur Smith. I just completely fell in love with with um, the idea of South Africa. So I'd literally got on an aeroplane. My parents were like, "What are you doing?" And I got on a plane. And I um, lived in this literally Clifton Beach on, I mean, I stepped outside the cottage and, and I was on the sand. Do you know what I mean? It was that close. It was just a dream. And it's really changed who I was at that age and gave me a lot of confidence. Um, and I actually believe that if I hadn't maybe been out there and known the area so well and had so many great contacts, I might not have got my job at Graf. Um, right. Because he owned, at that time, when I got my job, he had a, a vineyard that he was hoping to create into a luxury hotel. So talk us through the uh, the amazing experience. How, how did you win a job at Graf? I um, used to walk past the windows of Graf and I became completely obsessed with the yellow diamonds. I just found them so kind of exciting and so extraordinary. And basically, I just sent in my CV to Lawrence Graf and I got an interview. So anyway, I went to this interview with Lawrence Graf and I did actually say to him, you know, I was quite surprised get an interview with you and he said I was fascinated by your surname I couldn't believe that anyone really had a Bond girl surname (laughs) amazing absolutely the most incredible thing I mean right from the get-go Lawrence Graff was so nice to me and I wasn't scared of him and I wasn't like a rabbit in the headlights that some people were and I think he probably quite liked that and I kind of you know he used to ask me questions and, and I would give my um I wouldn't say what I thought he wanted to know, if that made sense. I would say what I thought was right, um, even if it probably wasn't quite what he did. But he used to kind of quite respect my opinion. And anyway, it was just amazing um, working with him. And it was. And obviously, you know, I finally got to actually wear yellow diamonds. Um, Not the tiara I've chosen. Sadly, I never got to try that on. Yeah, Um, so you've, you've chosen the most amazing tiara by Graf, the King of Diamonds. It looks like a sort of um, sunrise. It's it's very, very majestic. It looks like a fantasy princess Isn't tiara. It? it just looks like what Cinderella should have been wearing when I was reading it, age, age six or whatever, in the Ladybird book. I think with, with Lawrence Graf made yellow diamonds popular, he made fancy colour diamonds popular in in the western world particularly in the uk i remember him telling me and read i've read interviews that you know he says that there's a very different way to cutting yellow diamonds than there are to cutting white diamonds and i think he i mean he he just i mean he really is the king of diamonds and you, you know he's his the diamonds that have gone through his hands are kind of more better almost than anyone else in the world um and this to me kind of epitomizes the splendour of graph and the slightly exact over the topness of graph jewellery makes me feel so happy. You know, it's just not just because it's a matter. I'm obsessed with tiaras. Um, it's like having a ray of sunshine on your head. <laughs> yes, that's beautifully put. <laughs> you know, 
What other memorable moments at Graf can you tell us about? Well, the heist was very memorable. I mean, that in, in not such a nice not, way. Not in a good way. But it way. did give me, spur me to write my stories, um, my books. I When I started working there, it was um, his, his uh, 70th birthday. So we decided to... Um, do build a leadership center in Lesotho, which is a little kingdom in um, near Pretoria. I went with Graf to um, to open this leadership center in Lesotho, and it was just so nice to spend some time with this young man that I had a kind of very professional crush on, and I just thought was incredible. And um, we flew by helicopter over Lesotho to the leadership center. And it was just amazing. And the king of Lesotho was there and Prince Seso, who I'd become very close with. Prince Seso and his brother, who was the king. And it was just an amazing experience to go there. And um, this country, it was ravaged by HIV. And they're one of the poorest, actually one of the poorest countries in Africa, or areas in Africa, Um albeit having the most unbelievable resources and some of the most amazing diamonds in the world come from that. And it was an amazing experience yeah. to do to go there with him. Very memorable. Oh, it was amazing. It really was. Um, and then the other one I just quickly wanted to talk about was I went got to go to the Cullinan Mine. And that was amazing because the Cullinan Mine actually inspired my first novel about the other half, the mysterious other half of the world's largest diamond that's ever been found, which was found at that mine in 1905. And um, it was amazing being given a tour of, of, of the mine and the vi- mining village and and all of that. So those were the two really extra- extraordinary experiences I had. Mm. Um, so I'm surprised that you haven't put the Cullinan into your fantasy vault, Josie. <laughs> well, the Queen has it, so I don't think she's going to let me take it from her. Uh, but... Um, <laughs> So just like your fictional heroine, Jemima Fox, in your novels, you spent some time living in Monaco, didn't you, Josie? Tell us about your time there. It must have been a wonderful place to live. And I was like a dream to live in Monaco, to be honest with you. And I managed to get a job working um, for um, a gold mining firm as a kind of PR, financial PR. And I had great fun going out on boats at weekends, you know, the kind of Edmonston's company speedboat and we went out and had picnics, you know, um, stop off at the restaurants along the coast towards Nice for lunch on a Saturday. And, you know, it was really, really, I mean, it was amazing. Sounds very glamorous. I'm very envious. It was glamorous. And there were times which were amazing, like around the Grand Prix and all those kind of stuff. And you, there were incredible parties that sometimes you could get into. And, you know, you did see, I mean, amazing cars and things like that. You know, I had a lovely apartment overlooking the sea, that was in an old Belle Epoque building, which is the department Jemima lives in, in the Monte Carlo connection. And I used to go down every morning before work and just swim in the sea and lo- lo- the La Votto Beach. It was just amazing. Sounds wonderful. I mean, that is my favourite place, I think, in the world. I didn't finish why I got into writing was that um, my my the job then didn't work out, actually, with the gold money. And so I spent a lot of time sitting on my balcony looking at the sea, and that's when I started to write my novels. Um when I actually had the time to put pen to paper. And then when my mother died in the November of that year, I kind of, the writing helped me get over her death. So yeah, so that's how I started writing, really. I'm so sorry you lost your mother, Josie. It must have helped so much to throw yourself into writing, especially about the glamour and excitement of jewellery heists. Is this why you've chosen your fourth piece in the jewel vault, the spectacular David Morris earrings, which feature in one of your novels? Well, about um, last year, I, I published my third novel, The Monte Carlo Connection. 
And a friend of mine put me in touch with the head of PR, Louise, at David Morris. And because I was looking for somewhere to do a, a launch party. And I mean, of course, it's every girl's dream to do a launch party on Bond Street, particularly if you're writing about jewellery. There's a scene set, that's, there's, a, there's a chapter, a couple of chapters set in the most, my favourite hotel ever, which is Hotel du Cap in, um, in, on the south, in the south of France. And um, there is, um, and I had to describe, very, there's a fashion show um, around the pool and, uh, and I, wearing David Morris jewellery. And I had to basically kind of pick jewellery that I loved from David Morris which is very hard because again they're beautiful amazing coloured pieces of jewellery with extraordinary stones yeah and I described this piece these jewels um this kind of fictional supermodels wearing them and these are just dreamy I mean I the sea is I'm just I could I, I think I was a mermaid in a previous life um probably a French mermaid in the south of France and I just these remind me of the sea and yep. I would just dream to have them one day. They are spectacular. Describe them to us. So there are two very large pear-shaped um, black opals. The colouring is amazing. It's almost like a kind of impressionist. If you just look at that stone, it's almost like an impressionist painting in the way that the colours, there's a kind of, there's in this particular one, one of this, you know, there's um, turquoise, there's blue, you know, like a royal blue. Um, it's a kind of, uh, lime green washed over a stone it almost looks like the stone's actually been painted doesn't it really you can't quite I can't quite believe that it's that's how it comes out of the earth um and so there are two obviously a pair of earrings two very large pear drops um a pendants like, surrounded by um pareva tourmaline and white diamonds and then uh believe they're sapphires around the 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 around the edge the border and they hang they're suspended from um another smaller oval shaped opal uh black opal which again is surrounded by white diamonds they're just incredible and they also come obviously with they've got a necklace and um a bracelet and things and it's just I would definitely have the whole lot. Um, <laughs> this is your fantasy jewel vault. Of course you can have the whole lot in there. This is such a masterful way to set black opals, really celebrating the colours of the Pareba tourmalines as much as the black opals as well, uh, themselves. I love the name, the Neptune earrings, because as you say, all the gems sparkle and shimmer, just like gazing into a tropical sea. David Morris really have that knack of making connoisseur standard gems sing with joy, I think. I love it. So please tell us about the fifth stunning jewel you've chosen to put in your jewel vault, Josie. So the fifth piece I've chosen is this unbelievable brooch that was commissioned and created for Empress Eugenie by Milerio. They made jewels for all the queens and princesses of Europe. Pretty much every single um, house of Europe, whether it's royal or whether it's an aristocratic house, has a piece of jewellery for Malerio. Um, they, I mean, it's quite extraordinary, the pieces of jewellery they've made. And they were the first jewellers on, on Rue de la Paix in Paris. And they, they're, they're still there. They've still got all the archives in their, in their basement of their store on Rue de la Paix. They have archives. They got the signatures from Princess Mathilde, who was a cousin of Napoleon III. Empress Josephine's, you know, signature on ledgers. 
um, orders from Marie Antoinette. I mean, that's incredible. It is. It sounds astonishing, like a treasure trove of history. It completely. That's the joke. That's the vault. <laughs> <laughs> it's very much a fantasy peacock feather. It's got an oval emerald in the centre of the eye, surrounded by rubies and sapphires, and then the super fluid plume is set all over with diamonds it's an absolute masterpiece of design and craftsmanship it looks fr- so fresh but it's over a century and a half old it is amazing isn't it and actually it was sold not long ago i think it was sold at christie's last november for nine hundred thousand dollars um it was owned at one point by the altani family Again, Josie, you've chosen a truly exquisite piece for your fantasy vault. Thank you. So now we come to the sixth and final piece. And I think you saved the best to last because this is the most astonishing gem. Isn't it? Tell us what it is. So it's a red diamond and it's the largest red diamond that's ever been found. Um, Red diamonds are a real kind of anomaly in the gemstone world, as you you know, you know. Um, there's a lot of discussion as to whether they're actually very dark pink diamonds and what makes them red. Um, that no um, red diamonds have been found over six carats. This is, I can tell you, 5.11 carats. It's called the Musaif red diamond. To me, this this it's just it's just really exquisite. So the Paris connection, which is my next novel, I uh, am using a red diamond. I don't can't say anymore. So yes, yeah, so it's it's the main um, gemstone in my next novel. So it's your inspiration for your next fantasy adventure. Not this stone, but this is the biggest red stone that's actually really been found. The red the red diamond in my book is a lot bigger, obviously, <laughs> because it can be um, <laughs> exactly. And that's the whole mystery behind the the, the story. But it involves Napoleon. And it involves power in, in, in France. But for now, you've put the biggest real red diamond in the world into your fantasy vault. This is truly an incredible diamond. I think it was originally discovered by a Brazilian farmer in the 1990s. And it hasn't been seen in public since an exhibition of famous diamonds in London in 2006. And it's owned privately uh, by the biggest gemstone connoisseur and jeweller in the industry, Mrs. Elisa Musayev. I worked for her for a time, and although I saw many incredible gems in her stock, I never saw this one. It's kept well away from prying eyes, and it's not for sale. So it would be anyone's guess how much it would be worth if it ever came onto the market. It's probably worth tens of millions. So what would you do with it if you had it? How would you set it into a piece of jewellery? If I had it, I would have it set. I, I mean, I've already thought of how I would have it set. I'd say have it set in a ring with some other stones around it and just be an enormous cocktail ring. <laughs> that I would probably only only wear in the bath. Like, you know, um, Princess Margaret wearing the Porsche Martiara in the bath or Joan Collins at the beginning of Dynasty. I would just lie in the bath with this enormous ring on. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Oh, Josie, looking back at your selection for your fantasy jewel vault, what's striking is the fairy tale quality of all these pieces. There's really something out of this world about the size or the quality and the design of the of the jewels. There's, they're literally fantastical and really well suited to a fantasy jewel vault. It's clear you're in love with gems and jewellery. Why are they so important to you? Um, I get a lump in my throat a lot of the time talking about things that mean a lot to me. Um, I think the thing I about gemstones, and it's so cringy to use this um, kind of, you know, is that, you know, 
diamond in the rough and what can be made out of them and and how what you can make of your life and I've had some really amazing times in my life that I've really talked about to you but I've also had some unbearably sad times and incredibly lonely times and I was very lonely living in Monaco as well as having a ball um and um um, and, and, and things, um, you know, my mother dying, which was a terrible death and some terrible things have happened. But it's always been jewellery, uh, gemstones more than just jewellery, actually, that have kind of learning about stones and learning about jewellery houses and, 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 and jewels as something that has kind of taken me out of any sadness. Because, uh, um, you know, it's it's amazing what you can make out of out of very little, or what you can get out of sadness, or what you can get out of something which is, looks quite dull. And gemstones, when they come out of the ground, are pretty dull. Um, but look what they can get get made and be made into with the right person. I think it's the most amazing thing. It's a natural resource that man has made, um, has has managed to kind of create into something magical. And I think that's just wonderful, really. That's beautifully put, Josie. So in your own life, how much does jewellery play a part? Oh, God, daily. I'm, you know, I've started collecting costume jewellery because I can't afford real jewellery. So you can indulge your love of fantasy. Well, I can just put all the jewels on and my friends think they're real. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Josie, you've chosen the most incredible fantasy vault to share your life and career in jewellery with. Thank you. It's breathtaking looking back across this fabulous array of the most prestigious jewels from the family Londonderry Emeralds, Victoire de Castellan's fantastical brooch for Dior, the Graf Sunray Tiara, the David Morris Neptune earrings, the Malerio Peacock brooch and the Musayef Red. If you could only keep one of these safe forever, which one would it be and why? It would be the Musayef Red. Why? Because I've, I've, um, I found this really emotional, actually. I've, um, I've learned so much about red diamonds researching my, my next novel. I've learned a lot about it during lockdown. And it's been one of my escapisms during lockdown. I, I was diagnosed with postnatal depression and, and learning um, about st- help the stones has really helped me get through my postnatal depression um, and lockdown. And this particular stone... Um, yeah, God, I feel really emotional. It means a lot to me, actually. Mm. I have to go and chat up Mrs. Masai and ask if I can borrow it. Oh, well, it's been such a delight to learn more about these incredible pieces, Josie. Thank you. And also to learn about your wonderfully creative view of the jewellery world. So, Josie, thank you very much for sharing your life and career with us through these six beautiful pieces in your Fantasy Jewel Vault. Oh, thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we did recording it. You can find images of all the wonderful jewels we've been talking about, along with lots more information at our website. Just go to vipjewelvault.com forward slash podcast. And I want to hear from you. Tell me, what special pieces would you put into your fantasy jewel vault and why? Every so often I'll be collating your stories into a podcast of their own. So please get in touch and of course rate, review and subscribe so we can keep these conversations as meaningful and joyous as we can. Thank you. Thank you.